Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that whosoever will may come. Amen. Because I know I'm not good enough to earn it. <laughs> so I'm glad the bar was set really low. Whosoever. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. <coughs> As we go into Revelation chapter 4, we're coming out of the letters to the seven churches. And now John is taking to, uh, um, taken to another vision. This is a move through time, I believe. Uh, now there are some wild things here in this chapter that are introduced in chapter 4. And sometimes our minds will focus on, on that, the wild things, the things we don't understand. And uh, we'll kind of miss the main point of the message. And so don't miss the main point of the message, amen? Uh, I saw a pastor, Pastor uh, Peter Hubbard, give an illustration of this, uh, and I'm going to steal that in, in illustration tonight. Uh, but I'm going to read a paragraph to you, and it'll be on the screen here. So it says, John reluctantly decided to take an Uber to Fresh Market in order to pick up some lettuce, quinoa, pomelo, and jicama because his car needed a new catalytic converter, and his friend was on Fuerto Ventura. All right. Where did your mind go? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Well, where's, what's an Uber, maybe? What's a Pomelo? Or maybe what's a Jicama? Or what in the world is Fuerto Ventura? <laughs> All right. <laughs> and sometimes... They had a car. That's all I know. <laughs> and sometimes our, our minds go to the things that we don't understand, and it gets distracted from the main point. What is the main point? Go ahead and put that back up there for just a second. What was the main point of this paragraph here? What's that? John bought food. John went shopping. John went to the store, whatever the case may be. That's the main point, right? Then the details may be important, and they are. They're important. But they're not the main point. How did he go shopping? He took an Uber, right? An Uber is where you can pay someone to take you like a taxi, but anybody can drive it uh, if they have an app on their, on their car and they've been approved. Uh, you know, okay, so he took an Uber. Uh, how did he go, sh uh, I'm sorry, uh, why did he take the Uber? His car was broken, yep. And his friend was away, we're told, uh, kind of, if we understand what Fuerto Ventura is. Uh, but uh, what was his attitude? Reluctant, yeah. And what was the purpose of him going? Food, groceries, yeah. And so as we approach chapter 4, the book of Revelation makes a shift in emphasis here. And let's read chapter 4 real quick, and let's see if we could find the main point. And I'll give you a hint. Uh, there's one word that's repeated 12 times in this chapter, and a total of 17 times in chapter 4 and chapter 5 together. Uh, so let's read the, the chapter together. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like jasper and sardis stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, 
and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fell, fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. All right, what is the word that was repeated 12 times? Throne. That's right. And throne. Uh, we're shifting in this chapter to an emphasis from the church now to the throne in heaven. The main point, main idea is that God is on his throne. Jesus is on his throne. And this is a significant statement because chapter 4 and following leads us to understand the power of God and his coming judgment upon the earth. Now, however, the word church is not mentioned again in Revelation until chapter 19. And so we see a quick picture of a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. And chapter 2 and 3 is the church age. We just went through that, looking at the various ages of the church age. Chapter 4 and 5 is a vision of heaven. Chapter 6 introduces the tribulation period. And based on this, we believe that the rapture of the church happens prior to chapter 6. Uh, Revelation 3.10 tells us, uh, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. Uh, the word is also the word tribulation in other passages. Which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And the church of Philadelphia is who this is being addressed to. And it says the church of Philadelphia will not see the hour of temptation. So they are the last church to be before the current age, before the current time, the church at Laodicea. And there's no mention of the church until chapter 19. So chapter 4 through 18 actually uses Old Testament terminology. Uh, altar, trumpets, a scale, things like that. And the mention of trumpets kind of reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, Verses we, we probably know pretty well. Uh, I read often at funerals and such. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning with them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the, God, of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 
And some will say, well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible. And you're right, the English word rapture is not in the Bible. But that doesn't mean the truth isn't there. Uh, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Uh, so, but we still believe that, the, uh, that this is the same uh, God, uh, one God in three persons, as the Bible teaches. And so just like God took Enoch uh, in the Old Testament uh, to heaven with him, uh, God will take his church to heaven or to the, to the air with him. And Charles Ryrie in Premillennial Faith quotes Hugh Latimer from 1535. Uh, he says, Peradventure it may come in my days, old as I am, or in my children's days. The saints shall be taken up to meet Christ in the air, and so shall come down with him again. And so back in the 1500s, they were saying this as well. And uh, some uh, that, that don't believe in the pre-tribulational rapture uh, will say, well, it, uh, that was never preached until the late 1800s to the 1900s. But people have been talking about it. I've given you other quotes through the different uh, uh, sermons as well to show as early back as the 4th century, uh, people have talked about a pre-tribulational rapture. As we begin chapter 4, the Apostle John tells us that a door was opened in heaven. He said, after this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard, was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And so hereafter, we see, uh, with the time that he sees, that John sees that door open, uh, he sees, first of all, the vision of the throne, Roman number one. And this is the second great vision of Revelation. And there is a first, uh, an open door and a word of invitation to come and see. I don't think necessarily it was a portal into another place as much as it was a portal into another time. Uh, God rolled back the, time, uh, the view that he could view what time, a different time. And John has shown a time after the church age, a time when the tribulation is about to begin. And notice a few things that John sees about, about this throne here. In letter A, he sees what's on the throne. Uh, who's on the throne? Huh? Christ, that's right. Yep, God is on the throne, Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. And in verse 2, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like jasper and sardis stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. So he's described with jasper, often used as a picture of righteousness. And I have a picture that comes up here, if they want to switch it over to that picture. Uh, there, are, there are multiple types of variety of jasper what are called jasper. Um, and so uh, some say, like the imperial jasper up there, and I don't know if that's clear or not, or the green get jasper maybe down here, but some will say that it's a greenish color, the one that they're talking about, and see-through. I, I don't know where they get that specifically. Um, however, the 1911 Encyclopedia Britannica says of jasper that the jasper of antiquity was in many cases distinctly green. Um, and so they uh, are just going off of other accounts of people talking about green and describing that, or jasper, and describing it. Uh, but it's often compared to the emerald and other green objects. Uh, jasper is referred to in, I'm not even going to try to say the word, but it's an ancient German epic poem from the 1200s uh, and as being clear and green. And then also he says he's likened unto a sardis stone. I have a picture of that as well. And so a sardis stone, uh, some Bibles say carnelian. 
uh, but they are often used interchangeably. Uh, they're not the same stone, but they're uh, used interchangeably often by people uh, because they're very, very, very similar. Um, but it's often used as a picture of holiness. It's a red stone. And seeing this one with a uh, brownish red color, and perhaps the jasper is the red variety as well. We don't know. Uh, but however, others believe it was a clear stone, uh, like, like even a, like a diamond with a slight green tint to it. Uh, but it would all be conjecture at this point. Uh, the best closest we can come to is comparing other literature that's non-biblical uh, and descriptions that they give. But, uh, however, the Old Testament priest, according to Exodus 28, 17 through 20, did wear 12 stones on their breastplate. And the first was jasper and the last was sardine, a sardine stone. And so we see who is on the throne here and its image was like unto jasper and sardine. And then we see around the throne. Uh, around his throne was a rainbow, the Bible says. Not just any rainbow. He says, he that sat, up, sat was look, uh, to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto a rainbow. Uh, like a, try that again. Like unto an emerald. <laughs> Got rainbow stuck in my head. Uh, like unto an emerald. I've never seen a rainbow like that. And I don't know exactly what, what we're picturing here. Uh, perhaps it's just the light glow from uh, a green glow that looks like a rainbow. You know, oftentimes, biblical descriptions, uh, the person who has limited understanding uh, will look at something and do the best they can to describe something. A wheel within a wheel. Well, what does that mean? You know, and, uh, you know, and what, how is that a wheel within a wheel? Is it like this? Is it like this? Is it, you know, what, what in the world is, is that? And, uh, you know, they're just, I, I just imagine they're looking at these things that you can't even hardly describe and saying it's, it, it, it's like a rainbow that's green, you know. And uh, I imagine it's kind of like, kind of like that. But uh, nevertheless, he says that it, there is a rainbow about the throne in sight like under uh, emerald. It's, uh, rainbow often is a picture of finished or perfect or complete judgment. Uh, the rainbow in Noah's day was a reminder of God's mercy. Uh, the emerald rainbow around God's throne symbolizes perfect judgment. He'll be fair. He'll be merciful to those who accept his mercy. But he'll also uh, sit on this throne of judgment and be just in all that he does. So we see on the throne. We see around the throne. Now it says that something is coming from the throne. And that is, from his throne came lightning and thunder. I remember whenever I was in, I think I was probably second grade, I went to a Christian school, and my teacher in Bible class was talking about these verses. And she said, I want you to draw what you think that looked like. And boy, my brain was just like going 100 miles an hour, and I was trying to figure something out, and you know, all this stuff, and it had lightning bolts going out, and all kinds of stuff, and uh, you know, just all kinds of things going. But I still remember that image that I drew in my head. I can't remember what I ate yesterday, but I can remember that. And, uh, but nevertheless, in verse 5, he says, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. Uh, it's an indication of power. Uh, thunder and lightning occurred on Mount Sinai when God came down to give Moses the Ten Commandments. Exodus 19.16, it says, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. So, uh, from the throne came thunder and lightning and a voice. 
then letter D, number four, uh, before the throne. What was before the throne? Well, there's actually two things. Uh, one is said in verse five, at the end of verse five, is that before the throne were seven, the seven spirits of God. It says, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We've talked about before this when we talked about Revelation 1. And Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 and 3, reveals that uh, these as the complete attributes of the Holy Spirit. Uh, not only are, uh, are the seven spirits before the throne, though, but also before the throne is a sea of glass. Uh, verse 6 it says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before, the, uh, before and behind. Uh, it says, a sea of glass. What does that mean? Uh, does that mean a sea that's so clear it looks like glass? Maybe. Does that mean some, a, something so flat it's as big as a sea, uh, but it's glass sea looking? Maybe. Uh, but I'll tell you this, uh, those who had victory over the beast are said to stand upon the sea in Revelation 15 too. It says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Given a little bit more information here. Uh, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the name number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of gold. Uh, God, <laughs> the harps of God. Uh, oh, there's harps mentioned in heaven. That means that everybody's going to be floating around playing harps, right? No. No, that's not what that means. This is a particular group of people that are doing this and singing his praises. Uh, but does that discount the fact uh, the, that it could be an actual sea of water that was so clear uh, because they're going to be standing on it? Well, Jesus walked on the water. Uh, Peter did for a while. You know, and these people will be perfect, won't they? You know, will be like Christ. So not necessarily. Say, well, you're, not, you're confusing me, Pastor. Well, I'm, welcome to the club. Okay, uh, we're not told. We're not told what it is. Uh, we just take the best description that we can and realize, if, again, focus on the main point. Okay, the main point is that God is on the throne. Amen. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts, the Bible says. And we'll look at this in just a moment, just a little while, uh, as we look at the next point, the next main point, Roman numeral two, the visitors at the throne. First, we see in verse number four, going back to verse number four, we see the 12, uh, excuse me, 24 elders, the four and 20 elders. Verse four says, and round about the throne were <coughs> four and 20, el el 20, let's try that again. Round about the throne were four and 20 seats, and upon the seats I saw four and 20 elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So first of all, we see they're clothed in white, Okay. Uh, there, there's, uh, some, uh, there's much conjecture over who these 24 elders are. Some say that it's the same number as the elders David chose to represent the Levitical priesthood. 1 Corinthians 24.4 talks about that. It says, There were more chief men found of the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ithamar, and thus were they divided. Among sons of Eleazar, there were 16 chief men of the house of their fathers, and eight among the sons of Ithamar, according to the house of their fathers. And so there's the two groups, 16 and 8, which is 24. 
Beyond that, I can't see any other connection to this group of people here, other than the fact it's 24. Um, I, I tried to look to see if I could make that connection, see where, see if I could find somebody to tell me how they make that connection. I, ha I didn't see anything, just heard people say it could be this. I have no idea how they get there, but it could be. Who knows? Uh, some see a connection there. And some believe that they're angelic beings, uh, being various verses depicting the angels around the throne. Uh, probably most, uh, I would say, that I've seen uh, believe that they were the 12 uh, uh, Old Testament patriarchs or the 12 apostles. I'd say the majority believe that that's it. Um, on the foundations of the New Jerusalem, on the foundation stones is written the names of the 12 apostles. Um, and so they kind of liken that and bring that over to the other. We, we're not told okay, what it is. But Revelation 21, 13 tells us about this. And it says, on the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the name of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Okay? And so maybe it is. Uh, there's only 12 apostles, there's 24 seats, and so uh, they go further and uh, say that it was the patriarchs and the apostles. Maybe it is. Um, some believe that it's a representation of all believers. They're representatives of all the believers. Uh, Revelation 2 through 3, the victorious believers were promised to be seated on thrones. Revelation 3.21, it says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in the throne. They're also told to be wearing white, uh, wearing white garments. Revelation 3.5, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. <clears throat> They're also told to be wearing crowns. Revelation 2.10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And so it's possible that these 24 elders are representatives of all of the saints. Uh, well, which one do you believe it is, Pastor? Yes, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't have a uh, idea. I, you know, I think that you know it probably makes sense for it to be a representatives. It also somewhat makes sense for the patriarchs and the and the things. We'll find out when we get there. Amen. I don't think there's anything that we need to say. This is definitely what it is and what God's trying to tell. If He wanted us to know, He would have told us. Okay, who those elders were. Okay, so we're not missing anything by not knowing exactly some of these answers. Okay, just realize that God is on the throne. Amen. Then we see, letter B, the visitors at the throne are the four beasts. And we call them visitors here, but um, just because it's, they're about the throne, at the throne there. Uh, but there's no, uh, they're not coming and going. <laughs> they're there. Uh, but verse 6, it says, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Um, very similar to the description given by Ezekiel in Ezekiel 1, uh, and are identified as cherubim in Ezekiel 10, uh, highest, the highest rank of the angelic order, so they say. Uh, but notice, first of all, that they are, number one, distinct in form. Uh, they're very distinct in their form. Uh, they're not like the other angels. 
not like the other beings. Uh, they have four faces to them, if you will. Uh, first one being a lion. Uh, and there's uh, a lot of people will liken these four th uh, sides of this be of these beasts uh, to the four gospels, and you do. There's a definite uh, similarity there to the focus of the gospel. Uh, for instance, the lion is purported to be the king of the animals, and so it's fitting sim uh, fitting symbol for Christ in the Gospel of Matthew uh, that was written to present G Jesus as Israel's king. We find in Matthew's gospel many references to Israel's king and his kingdom. Uh, the second one was a calf or an ox. Uh, in Ezekiel it says that it's an ox. The ox is used in the Bible times for sacrifice and for service. And so it's an appropriate symbol for Mark's gospel that presents Jesus as having come to earth to serve and to give his life for, as a ransom for many, as Mark 10.45 says. Uh, so that's a representative there. Then the third is a man. Uh, the third living creature had a man's face, as a man, it says. It wasn't, didn't say it was a man. It says it's as a, the face as a man. And this creature symbolizes Luke's presentation of Jesus as the perfect man. Uh, often the gospel of Luke calls Jesus the son of a man. Then the fourth is the face of an eagle, like a flying eagle, it says. And the fourth living creature to catch John's eye here was that flying eagle. The eagle flies high above other birds and typically builds its nest in very lofty crag. Uh, as such, it aptly portrays Jesus in the John's gospel as the Son of God. And Jesus is high above mortals, but he had descended from his home in heaven to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. John 3, 13 through 16, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, but also we notice here, secondly, not only do these creatures have uh, a distinction in their form, but we see secondly that they are specialized in function. They have a function. Verse 8, it says, The four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, was and is and is to come. So they're constantly before the throne day and night. And they have two functions, worship and declaring his holiness. And the eyes in the front and the back kind of point to the guard duty by being by the throne. Although, of course, this would be symbolic as God doesn't need a guard. Uh, but uh, that's the idea that kind of is given there. Then the third thing that John sees here now, we saw uh, the visitors. Now the third thing that John sees is a view of a future day. And that is the view of the victory at the throne. The victory at the throne. Verse 9 and 10 says, and 11. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. 
And this is symbolized by the response of the elders, this victory that is given. And the automatic response of a saint of God that realizes their own forgiveness and the response of all creatures being in the presence of such holiness is worship. And that's what we see in letter A, worship. And the four and twenty elders fall down before him and sat on the, that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. And worship means to ascribe worth to, to be in awe of. And Psalm 96.6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. We're told that every knee shall bow one day. Those that accept Christ and those who rejected him one day will bow before him and declare him as Lord of, the Lord, uh, Lord of, uh, of all. But they, here they worship the eternal one, the one that liveth forever and ever. And the second response of all created beings, but especially these 24 elders here, is letter B, thankfulness. He says that they, they cast their crowns before the throne. A symbol of the thankfulness, those crowns had been given to them as a prize, as a, uh, a reward for their faithfulness. And now the, we see these elders casting their crowns before them in thankfulness and in honor of Christ. And it speaks of giving thanks through physical act of giving back to the one who had given us so much. Worship is more than just a few songs and a cup of coffee, and then we go home. And it's more than that. It gives us the privilege of service, but also the privilege of reward one day. And uh, boy, we need to be faithful to worship him and be thankful for it, to him. And the third response is praise. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy, ple their, thy pleasure they are and were created. Psalms 116 verse 12 says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? And we can offer praise always, amen? And uh, we may not be able to give the amount that he gave us, give back to him. All we'll have before us, we can't take anything with us to heaven. And so the only thing we can have is the things that we have been given once we get there. And that, those crowns we can give back to him. But it's that praise that he wants us, that sacrifice of praise that he wants us to give. Oh, we need to praise the Lord. We will, amen? We'll definitely be praising the Lord. We have a tradition in our family. And when it's someone's birthday, uh, the birthday person gets to choose what we eat for dinner and what we watch together. Um, and Ellie chose a new movie that she had seen an advertisement for last night. It was called A Journey to Bethlehem. And we watched it. It's the story of uh, Mary and Joseph and the birth and such. We watched it. We, we enjoyed it. But I had multiple problems with it. <laughs> uh, first, it kind of turned it into a Rocky mu a musical. And uh, it was a musical, you know, and that so first song I was like, oh, it's a musical. <laughs> but uh, it just, it, you know, okay. But there were some areas where I think they took a little bit too much creative license with the story. I wouldn't say that I would recommend the movie necessarily. Uh, but there was one thing that I noticed that really grabbed my imagination, grabbed my attention. Uh, king Herod, a power-hungry and cruel king, was singing a song about his power and kingdom. And in the chorus of the song, he began to sing very loudly and proclaiming for all to hear it. Very familiar tune and part of the Lord's prayer. But they changed the words to mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
instantly I felt the shock of sacrilege. <laughs> I think that was the point. I think they were doing that on purpose to shock you into realization of what he was saying, what he felt. And quickly realize that this, cry, this is the cry of every ruler who does not yield to God, yield to God's kingdom, yield to God's power, yield to God's glory, and try to keep it for themselves. A lie from the very beginning of sin, from Lucifer crying out, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will be like the Most High. And the very first lie ever told to the serpents lie in the garden, ye shall be as gods. We know this verse well. And so I think we take it for granted sometimes, this beautiful, beautiful praise verse. But it's quite shocking to our Christian hearts to hear someone claim for themselves this glory that only God is worthy of. If we looked at it and flipped it and ascribed it to the worst of human, humanities that were so powerful, like for instance Hitler, we would never say something like, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power, and we would be angry at that, although they did proclaim much to his glory and honor and such. We would be more than troubled, and we should. But so many times we do this with ourselves. Oh, not by the word. We would never say those things, but certainly by our deeds, by our actions. Our actions cry out, I am worthy to receive glory. I deserve that raise and promotion. I'm worthy of the honor. No one notices or thanks me for the countless hours that I work at the church. No one prays, pays any attention to the years that I've been teaching and the years that I've been giving, the years that I've supported the church. I'm worthy of the honor. We cry out, I am worthy of the power. And so we seek position. We seek control. We seek power. But there's only one that's worthy. Worthy to sit on that throne and control us and lead us. One that's worthy of that honor and that power and that glory. That's Jesus Christ. How shall we worship? We need to do it by showing thanksgiving. Amen. How can we praise our God more effectively? We can do it by gathering faithfully with the church and praising by singing his songs. Yes, you can sing it by yourself for sure, but how much more does it get whenever we lift up our voices together and sing unto God? Amen. We can do it by giving to God our time, our talents, and our treasure and give unto him what he has given to us. Yield it back to him. We can obey him by witnessing for him so others may join us in our praise. We can edify one another so that we'll not cease praising him. We'll lift each other up so we won't get discouraged and quit. We can walk with him so that we can truly see who he is and the worth that he holds. Thou art worthy. We know that song. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord. Let's sing it together. Amen. This, the words are up on the screen. We'll just sing it a cappella if you know it. It goes, Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, 
Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, glory and honor, glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created, hast all things created, Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created, for thou art worthy, O Lord. Oh, we need to remember, amen? We need to remember who's worthy. Give him the honor, the power, and the praise that he deserves. Well, let's take some prayer requests and we'll...